Stacy and I'm Norma and we're Black Girls with Accents. Hi everybody, welcome back. Welcome back to Black Girls with Accents. So we wanted to pick up from an earlier episode where Norma and I discussed my new book, Not Your Mother's Mammy, the representation of the domestic worker in transatlantic media. We had a great conversation talking about my project and we decided for today's episode, we would talk to Norma about what she's working on currently. Yeah, so it's very, and it's kind of funny. It's interesting to bring it to the podcast like this. Um, so um, yeah, I'm developing a film and uh, the project is basically going to be very close to my heart. It's going to be about um, Suriname and becoming, getting their independence from um, the Netherlands. I'm doing it through a smaller lens. I want to do it through the lens of um, basically my grandmother's life. And so I'm kind of come to this premise and I feel like that's what kind of captures what um, this project is going to be about. So in 1975, a naive devout housewife on the precipice of change must reckon with the risk of losing her cultural identity and her family, and as, as Suriname prepares for its independence from the Dutch colonizer. So, as I understand it, this is going to be a story that's focusing on the experiences of your paternal grandmother, right? Uh, yes, that's correct, yeah. And so, did you know your paternal grandmother? Did you grow up um, listening to her stories, or is this a story that's been filtered down through your father, maybe your mom, mm-hmm. your aunts and uncles. How did you come upon this story? It's um, it's kind of a, a little bit of a bittersweet feeling. Um, so I knew her up in about the age of six. She passed away when I was either six or seven. Um, but the years with her, the, like the years up until that, I had a, a lot of time with her, especially when um, we first moved to the Netherlands. We, um, she moved and was with us. We were in this city called Den Haag, and she was there with us. So I have a lot of images in my head of her, like standing in the doorway um, and just watching us play. Um, and one thing that always stood out to me, like even when I pulled them back up, that there was like, um, I could see that she would enjoy us playing, but there was a sadness there. And I always wondered, like, in her eyes what that was about. That So seeing joy but sadness at the same time. Right. And um, Suriname people have a word, uh, sari, and they sometimes say that too. Like, you know, if, if you see a person and you can tell that the person is not quite themselves, they'll be like, what's going on? Like, you look so sari. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you've been crying, but just that there's, like, something over you that, that right. feels like heavy and so I like to think of her and I have like um, cute photos of like where we used to like to jump in the bed with her or lay in the bed with her and my dad was good at taking pictures at the time so I have a couple of those type of pictures that I really uh, enjoy and I can really bring her up in my mind of like things that we did together she did like to like actually be engaged with us um, but that that picture of her standing in the doorway can be very dominant sometimes, like where I could tell that she was enjoying us and at the same time that there 
there was some type of regret. So then when she passes, um, I learned that one of the kids that I always thought was her daughter was not bio biologically, logically, <laughs> biologically <laughs> her daughter, but it was my grandfather's. And so that's like, of course, like I'm young, I'm not fully understanding the concept, but as years go, I'm paying attention to like how, um, even though even siblings that are, so my dad's siblings, even the sibling that was not bio biologically hers, still talks to about her with so much grace and love and like as an actual parent. And that's really when I started taking notes. Um, it's really amazing how this has taken like a 360 because in my 20s, I had started when I thought I was going to write a novel. Never happened. I went into scripts. <laughs> but it started off that I thought I wanted to write the story from my grandfather's side. So I had called the book um, King of Max, which mm. is like, and so I, I was going to break it down that way. And more and more, I just realized that it wasn't about him at all. I wanted to talk about her. And so the story shifted. Right. Yeah. So you've spoken on the podcast a couple of times um, about your father and his uh, rebellious or more radical side. His, well, in particular, when we spoke about Black Pete a couple of years ago, yeah. you mentioned how he was against that, the observance yeah. of that celebration, I'll call it or on the day of the fallen um, yeah. in Germany, how he refused to stand, stand and acknowledge. Um, and so this rebellious spirit of your dad's, um, does it tie back to your grandmother, his mother, and her sentiments about nationality and identity and culture, the Suriname yeah. side of your family? I say there's two things that tie back that I can that I would that I can see are my dad's and then I say that he directly got from his mom kindness and then definitely that do what you want do what you want to do most like and like you said like the rebellious rebellious part because I used to think that she wasn't at all I thought she was just like you know like a go with the flow lady and Never, she definitely didn't raise her voice that I so you just heard. thought like a typical, yeah, maybe meek, yeah, something, something, yeah, but yes, yeah, so, but in her own way, like especially, um, I ended up interviewing my dad and one of his brothers, uh, um, and and um, it was just to learn from them how their mom was, especially about like routine and discipline, which is originally in my head the way my grandfather like carries himself you would think that he would be the one that did that but it actually came from her like perseverance came more from her personality um so it's nice to see because it, it is two things that i kind of recognize especially kindness i've been told that i have so i recognize that in myself again of how things come down in generations where i'm like you know she passed so long such it's been such a time since she's passed and still part of her personality definitely lives in how i carry myself right so, the yeah. order 
mm-hmm. organization structure. Yeah. So, okay, so you, you interview both your father and your uncle, yeah. and then some things come to light about your grandmother, your paternal yeah. grandmother, that kind of sparks in you this need to tell her story. Yes. And so... Now you've you, we've we've spoken about her, um, but can you give her a name? Yes. Identify her name, and then tell us what was so fascinating about her, and what story you're telling, what yes. aspects of her life you're sharing. Like, so her name is Helena and Jeffries. So Helena Jeffries, and I'm using her maiden name because. Um, because I just want to acknowledge the her before she came anything else, right? Before she became a, mm. a mom and a wife, and mm. so um, and but in English we say Helena, but mm-hmm. we say Helena, Helena Jeffries. Mm-hmm. And so um, the interviews were they were amazing, hard at the same time as well. Uh, my uncle got very emotional, um, which. Um, it's, it, it's weird. It surprised me, even though I should have known from just the little snippets that I've gotten from this, you know, my aunts and uncles um, in the during the years. Um, and the way I've always noticed how much my dad missed his mom, even as an adult. I think he must have been 25 or 26 when she passed away. And it's just honestly till this day that I can notice from time to time that my dad misses his mom so she really had a big impact on them my uncle was um, my uncle was emotional because of um, there was abuse in the home mental and physical abuse and so talking about her kind of ended up still also talking about my grandfather's behavior uh, at one point he wrote me a letter and instead of being able to say it with his voice and then I actually told him then it's okay we can stop I only if he thinks of um, positive things about his my grandma that he wants me to know especially behavior or anything that he says that was specifically her he can text me or call me Um, but I didn't want to I didn't necessarily want to bring up all that trauma for him and I which yeah, was really accidental. I really thought that talking about his mom would just bring joy, but it, it sparked, which is through the rest of what what went on in the home as well, um, which was also which is also vital to the story. Um, he, my grandfather, presented himself in a very um, kind of rock star way. He really did, and he was also kind of loved that way. Was he as handsome as your dad? If you you guys could see her dad, (laughs) that's a handsome, handsome, handsome man. Yeah, he was a handsome man, and and people he had a he had a contract with um, the city, with the government, and so Mm. he was a tailor, and so making the clothes, and um, he had some influence, and so women were also drawn to them. So he made uniform for the government. Yeah. For the military for, or no, for, for um, city workers, civil service yeah, workers. Civil, yeah. Okay. And so, um, but then the the part of the the twist of the story is that like he's he's one of those people that kind of to me functioned this way. Uh, he if he's into it, he's performing on a high level, and you get like good quality work. Um, he used to 
he used to adore me so i actually have really good memories of my grandfather i don't have the negative um mm. memories of him but and he used to make my uniforms for me when i was in and then he, oh, really? oh, I, he used to get me in trouble because he was really into fashion so sometimes he would make them like paris fashion and I would get sent home because it was a little too short and stuff like that. He wanted to have like a style to it. And he was like, they don't know anything. And I was like, oh, but wow. it just needed to be. Yeah, yeah, just the formal <laughs> so standard. A, yeah, formal right. uniform. And he was trying to make my Flares and yeah, tops and yeah, seats things to and, my yeah. shoulders. And they were like, no, go home. And so he used to go over, he used to get in it. He used to get upset about them sending his fashion right. back. Interesting. But then like after interviewing my dad and my uncle, they talk about like you know his drinking or the going out like he wasn't necessarily alcoholic but mm -hmm. just like yeah going living out. that kind yeah, of life like, yeah and then my grandmother picking up slack when like orders were due or like so oh. and so yeah so, so she's holding everything together that, yes, but yeah. there's no recognition of that no right so yeah. behind the scenes making sure things don't fall apart yeah. But that wouldn't have been known no. to everybody. No, to nobody. And honestly, I didn't realize until um, my dad and my uncle both told me. I was like, wait, you guys both are talking about this time where she's like fixing the buttons, like, the you know, the last little details yeah. and whatnot. But also the thing that is praised of like how detailed the work yeah. is. And I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. Um, and then both my uncle and my dad talked about how it was such a huge contract and so much money and it was still not put into the home. My grandmother would still come up with ways to supplement income so that they could, they, they, it was 12 of them, 12 with her and then also kids outside of the home who still ended up in the home. So it's a lot of people. <clears throat> it's a lot of people. And so that's why I was like, I want to shift this story. I don't want to concentrate on him. We kind of all know that behavior. How is a woman like that able to keep that all afloat? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then I wanted to tie in the independence of the country because there's an independence that she gets towards uh, my dad's teenage years. Right. That I feel is parallel. Right, right. So we're talking about the period of the 40s and 50s. Mm -hmm. Suriname is still under Dutch rule yeah. and there's a there's a interesting a fascinating story that you share in this project about how your grandmother was instrumental in the um kind of helping with the stability of the Dutch government after World War 2 right mm -hmm. so we all about Hitler and World War Two, and just what was going on in Europe at the time, and economies were weakened, mm -hmm. and so your grandmother plays this role—a role that wouldn't have been necessarily documented mm -hmm. um, and recognized for the kind of heroic sacrifices and the ingenuity she showed uh, back at that time. So I think it would be really fascinating to, to share this with the listeners. Yes, definitely. So the period of the, so I'll, I'll give a little front story. The period of the war, um, is, um, Suriname is actually doing well. Like, so while the rest of the world is poor, Suriname is basically the richest time of Suriname is at that time. They are, they're making the aluminum with the, with the bauxite is they're making the aluminum for the planes that actually fly from England um, 
to uh, from the U.S. to uh, Europe to to save um, Europe from uh, Germany, and um, of course now the war is over and um, the Netherlands is poor, but Suriname is still officially a part of the Netherlands, and so they implement this thing where every student uh, has to bring one cent to school. That's what you're referring to, right? Mm -hmm. And so they. Um, so instead of sending a cent, my my grandmother and some of the local women in Coroni, because they were not in the city Paramaribo, they were in the in a town a little further out, it's called Coroni. They decide to ask each kid to bring three coconuts to school, and so my grandmother grates the coconut and then does the steps to make it into coconut oil, and they they sell the coconut oil making more money than what they're supposed to send in which is only one cent on monday and donate all that money to help you know the motherland the mother <laughs> help the country because in their head it's one it's not yeah. even it's not even a colony it's help our right. country um and so i thought that was so so innovative instead of like and i think she also did it because that's 12 children she's sending in some way, some form. I would say if it's not 12, because some are older, of course, but still at least, I think, seven or nine people right. that she has to send. Nine cents, right, yeah. which is the equivalent of probably like $10. Yeah. Right, so which like, she just don't, doesn't have. No. And she's like, but what we can do is bring three coconuts, make it into coconut oil. And my dad was like, she was at one point, I'm messing it up. In my head, I can I can tell I can't remember the detail correctly, but he was saying the um, the amount of coconut that she was able to make in a week because of that habit was just like astounding, just because of and this is there would you know now we have fancy ways we grade it in a in a presser or whatever, but she was doing all this by hand mm -hmm. and of course like running her household and doing the details on her husband's uh, right. <laughs> job. So I'm like I'm just imagining this this woman that is just in somewhat of a constant gear and like both i mean especially when i spoke to my dad and my uncle from what i got from them she was really great at like management he was like there was always a schedule there was definitely not like you come home and we land gags and he was like when you come back she had a full schedule of what needed to happen from which kid at what time and then you come back and did, did dinner and then another thing I liked was that she was actually pretty good at balance too because then after dinner they would go for like a neighborhood walk or something like mm -hmm. just some downtime before going in the house and like mm -hmm. going. so just hearing how she managed to like make a day mm -hmm. and into like mm -hmm. functioning management <laughs> Mm -hmm. I thought that was amazing, but could also be because of, you know, the amount of kids that you juggle, you're like, we need a system. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I enjoyed learning that about her, um, just the way, like, the way she taught and the way she was able to be so entrepreneurish. Yeah. 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 So, okay, so like many other former colonized nations... Uh, as we get closer to the 60s, mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of work happening, you know, obviously prior to the end of um, colonialism, there are always factions, always groups of people working, resisting, 
their oppressors. But really when we get to the late 50s, early 60s is when we begin to see independence springing up all over the Caribbean, in, in Central America, in Africa. Yeah. So for some people, there is this um, strong sense of loyalty to the motherland and for others, it's a an opportunity for independence, liberation, freedom. Yeah. Um, so can you talk about how this um, transition uh, impacts your family, your grandmother, yeah. sense of like, national identity, allegiance, uh, migration? How it feels. So thing from after, so in the, during this research, I noticed that the thing that comes up for my grandma a lot is that her base was also the church. So all her, her work of uh, service is also because of how her church like elevates and talks about how service is service to God. And so I do notice that um, once my um, once they starting to think about going to the Netherlands for most of for my dad's family it was it's it was opportunity because it's it's so many of them um, the Netherlands was also a kind of establishing things like you know when you get here we'll set you up with a house and like um, like kind of like welfare I guess like until you like get on your feet so it was really a chance for people to be like hey we get to go to like the mainland or like you know like to the Netherlands and then get our head right and maybe like do more than we feel at the time that we could do in Suriname so I feel like that's what sparked for a lot of from talking to my dad and honestly to my mom about this as well was like it seemed like the land of opportunity kind of I guess how the US or the UK can come across for any other person that connected to a colony but for my grandmother just from research so far to me that's honestly the point of the sadness I think she had given so much to her church and to her um, neighborhood and to her place where she grew up that the, uh, to me a sadness kind of starts um, happening when they do take her with them to the Netherlands removed from everything she knows removed from you know what she's the community that she worked on so long like um, I want to say that she was in her 60s when she passed I would actually oh yeah she wasn't that old and so I think the last mm, only eight years of her life or so have something to do with actually being in the Netherlands and from what I can tell I feel like to me she might have enjoyed just being home in her own space and well why did they bring her I think they brought her because of the the kids that were because the, the so half of her kids are now older and then the younger half is um, early 20s and teen actually still mm -hmm. I think Uncle Roy might have been 16 or 17 at the time and and but they're also they also have young kids so I think from how I see it is that the siblings kind of out of a selfish way like she can help us with our kids because oh. I think because if I look at it it's by the time I'm there's at least like five or five six of us cousins mm -hmm. that were always together and also with her 
So I think she still comes out of like, I can do this for my children. But at the same time, I feel she might have enjoyed her, her year, those last years to actually be in this home and village that she had built all these years. She's also got, she got sick towards the end. And I think um, my dad and his siblings probably felt like, you know, Western medicine and like, so, so that that would also be better for her to be. Have access to mm -hmm, these yeah, doctors. And... In the Netherlands. But, um, and that's, and this is my dad's um, feeling towards it. My dad seems to have an upsetness about all the years that she gave to her church and them not being able to help her with her medical bills in Suriname. Like when we spoke, I could tell my dad had like mm -hmm. a little like gripe about that. So mm -hmm. um, I just from where I am in the research and what I've gotten so far, I actually felt that for my grandmother, there was a little bit of a sadness about leaving her home country behind. I don't think that she was at the point where she said like, yes, you know, let's go on this new adventure. And I always wanted to see her. I think she was actually very proud like of being Surinamese and being so um, stable in her, mm -hmm. in her community. Yeah. So did she, um, so there are, there are subtle ways that people can find a way to maintain identity. So did yeah. she only speak in Surinamese? Did she only eat, you know, local food? Are there ways that she... Because I can say, like, for my grandfather, I, my grandfather put on a pair of jeans and trainers, sneakers. I want to say granddad must have been in his 70s. Still he was a man who... A dignified man who wore his three-piece suit, <laughs> no matter what the weather, right? Yeah. He only ate his hard food from Jamaica. He never ate Western food. He was very, you know, set in his ways. Yeah. Um, so did your grandmother in the same way, even though she was in Suriname, did she still operate very much um, in the same way that she would have at, at home? Even though she was in the Netherlands? Yeah. yeah. So for me, and I'm just going to go by the images that I have in my head or like, she her her house dress we we have house clothes mm -hmm. house clothes people i don't know how do you explain house clothes yeah, it's, house I, clothes. I think it's the same as what they right? yeah. yeah clothes you wear at home yeah <laughs> so her house clothes um I think for people of color right sure. yeah any person of color knows what house clothes are um so her house clothes were definitely always Suriname. like anytime i bring up an image in my head or even photos they were still like her Suriname like home dresses um, so this is particular fabrics and patterns. Yes, like a, yeah. It could be like a Baltic look, which yeah, is like so close to like an African print, yeah. Asian, or Indonesian. Yeah, yeah print. those two. Any of those mm -hmm. two. Um and so and then I don't remember her necessarily speaking English. Um sorry, Suriname to me or Dutch. I know my dad definitely like she like, definitely spoke Suriname only with my dad because my dad refused to speak Dutch so I know that when I heard them speak it was always in Suriname like I don't remember having a conversation hearing her voice and hearing Dutch but it might also be because I don't remember a conversation just between us like I just remember her more like over me not directly 
you know, something yeah. intimate that we were talking about. Yeah. So wait, let me ask you. So, um, so does your dad only speak in Suriname? He doesn't speak in, no, I know that he speaks Dutch and yeah. English too, but does he only speak in Suriname to other Suriname people? Yes. As much as he can. Yes. Like he definitely, as much as he can, he, he does not, he will not no. pick Dutch first. No. Oh. Only if the other, and honestly, even if you answer in Dutch, he could, continue on in Suriname. You've spoken about that before, right? This whole um, thing of when you were growing up, you weren't supposed to re uh, respond in Suriname. You yes, supposed that to, was But your rude. dad didn't was... teach you No, to he do was that. against that. <laughs> so I, it was it was considered rude and it was, uh, you were basically like, you know, untrained, like you come from a bad home. If you answer in Surinamese or Suriname is how we say it. And so, um, my dad would still speak Surinamese outside of the home with me and I would answer in Dutch and he would say, you can just answer me in Surinamese. Can you say for our listeners, can you say that? Do you remember? I don't know if you still... Yeah, he like if I like say if my dad would say something like, um, you know, like... But like, you say it you in your language. In my language. So I'm going to say this conversation of like, can you go to the store and, and pick up this, this, and this, or remember what to pick up? And I would say, yes. And I would say it in Dutch. And then my dad would say, Ika piki me in, in Sranam. And that means answer me in Surinamese. You do not answer me in Dutch. Like, like Ika piki me means you can speak to me. And Sranam is how we say Surinamese. So yeah, he would, and adamant and loud. Loud was always his thing which I hated back then, but now I get it. Like he would just loudly say it, like, Ika piki me sranam, and I was really like, my whole face, like I would just feel hives, because I know that every other Suriname person in the vicinity is gonna turn around and be like, what? And then, you know, and then any Dutch person, white Dutch person would also be like, ooh, they're speaking that, you know, um, how you say that? Rainforest language or rainbow mm -hmm. language. They used to, they like to say rainbow. It's a word that they used to, how you say that again? The great, yeah. you know, have coming from like a forest country. or Right. And so I would just stand there and be like, oh my God, this is so like awful. But if he hadn't done it, I wouldn't know Suriname. I wouldn't be able to speak it. I wouldn't be able to, um, understand it i understand it fully like i speak it slowly because i really don't speak it to anybody anymore so when i do start speaking it i forget did you raise your children to speak i mean i think it's a hard battle right you want them to be able to communicate in another language and not yeah. necessarily english but you chose dutch because it was just more practical because they would be well, obviously, for your older son, he grew up in, yeah. in, in, in yeah, some um, years. the Netherlands. But... Yeah, like seven years, eight years in the Netherlands. Um, well, also, yeah, and but I regret it. I regret it, and I actually think that it would be easier for them to learn Suriname, to speak Surinamese, than to learn Dutch at this point, especially Carter. When we were in Suriname, Carter said that he enjoyed himself more and had an easier time understanding people than when we were in the Netherlands. It was harder for him to acclimate to Dutch. He, he was able to catch on with um, Surinamese faster. And my eldest, who I thought was picking it up 
because of the way I picked it up from just being around people, he actually didn't pick it up. And so when we moved, he was like, oh, I don't stand, I don't understand Surinamese. And I just, it was I, heartbreaking. I yeah, I felt so it. So when your like, dad taught, well, so let me ask you, yeah. if he's in the company of your father and anybody else from Suriname, well, your family, they're from Suriname, but if he's in the company of people who insist on speaking in Suriname, <laughs> can he pick out enough or just absolutely nothing? No, like no different than if I was there. No, he doesn't. And it's kind of funny to me because my dad will continue on though because that's who he is. And so he's like, it will be little things, right? My dad will be like, go put that in the kitchen or close the door and things like that. Um, and my oldest, is, my eldest is just struggling. He's like, I don't know what he says. And in my head, I'm like, I know he's doing it on purpose. He wants you to know these basic things. And so, if, you know, we're not back and forth. And then he's like, okay, he'll give in a little. But he will always start with just speaking Suriname to him as if he understands. With, really? Yeah, like take this, you know, take the cup to the kitchen. And he's like, what did he say? And I'm like, he's saying to put it in the kitchen. Like, he just, he will not... He will not adjust. He he will try first. So mm. I think because of that, at least like a couple, like five basic sentences. My youngest has no. no the oldest the has, but has. the youngest has a better. They speak English to him, and oh. so they and so that's the one thing he does do. Like my dad does adjust because um, Carter just speaks English, so they adjust to him. Does Carter speak Dutch? No, not as good anymore. Well, I suppose it's harder for there isn't a community. If it was just... also because we stopped because of the dyslexia. Ah, oh, and then and, you, and then you were only speaking to your oldest in Dutch, yeah. and then it was just too much going on. Yeah. Understood. So they were like, do one language, and so we spoke because you know his dad too. So we we spoke only English to Carter. Um, but now, of course, after years and some more studies, people are like, you could have actually done. Yeah, well, you don't know. So You're trying you to do know. the best at yeah. the time. But he's interested. He's interested in, in Suriname. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, he yeah. might be the one. The, the, yeah, to pick it all back yeah, up. Yeah. You never know. It's, it's That's fascinating. We, we were with friends a couple of weeks ago. He's from Dubai. She's American-Italian. Mm-hmm. And um, I was asking them. I always find it fascinating. I, you know, we have Patois, not the same thing, Jamaica. But um, I was asking them, so do the kids speak? Uh, in Arabic and do they also speak in English mm-hmm. and you know what's going on with the languages and they said a similar thing when the and they live in Dubai yeah. but the but relatives speak mostly in English to them not in, in Arabic yeah and I tried in the beginning I would say like just keep talking to him in Dutch or Suriname so that he can catch on but I guess the conversations were slow and then they would just adjust yeah. and then would just ask him so that he can answer. But he's, he at least, which is, so, it, which is so cute to me. <laughs> like he'll have a whole conversation with my mom and then he will go, Slav lekker, which means good night. And, but the way he says it is so American to me. Like, and it's so I can, every time he says it, I hear a little giggle in her voice and she's like, Slav lekker. Like, it's just, it's just the, I know that he's like, I'm a, remember those couple of things like so he knows to say like good morning hello goodbye whatever but like that distinct one he always says to her like you know like good night yeah. like like, sleep well That's yeah what I mean. well yeah. you know words here and there yeah. better than nothing i'll tell true. you yeah true as yeah. a as someone who studied french for god 
most almost 30 years and I suck I suck at it but, but is it it is because you don't have somebody to constantly fluently speak it with I think c'était parce que je suis très intimidée yeah that, I could see that too I would be intimidated as well toujours as a, like yeah because I I'm for me I've assumed <laughs> now I'm laughing because I'm like I think by the time I get to like yeah, you know, je m'appelle, whatever, I'm, this is me, how are you doing, blah, blah. After that, I feel like an immediate blank of like, what else do I know if this person says right, something? Right. But I actually totally know, I know enough to understand, but yeah. not to answer back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can understand. And I could probably, I'm just so intimidated that I, we went to France a couple of years ago and... We brought someone with us who spoke French with us. Like, don't you like rely on me? And like, yeah. I, I know I take my classes and all that, but don't rely on me because I, I will freeze. But then she actually turned out to be a nightmare because she was busy shopping and doing other things and oh, was no. shy, so she wasn't that um, open about asking people. So now I ended up having to cobble together my terrible French and use it anyway, as much as I didn't want to. But people appreciate it. I feel like once you. Start. Yeah, it's just a thing. So my my, I've got a a, a goal, and it will be to spend uh, a a large chunk of time there, so that, that I can just it. um, that's coming soon. Anyway, enough about yeah. me. Back to grandma. So, no, it's true. Thank so, you. so, when did you decide then? Okay, so you said that you first it was going to be from granddad, and then yeah. you decided to do it from grandma. So, what was the impetus? What what made you say, okay, I'm going to sit down and seriously begin to write her story? Her story? Honestly, it's about... It, it, it came about because my culture, and it might be more Caribbean cultures, but I don't want to assume, so I'm just saying it for Suriname. We don't talk about things. So we call it between nose and lips, mm-hmm. which is basically... How say in Suriname, how you say it? Um, um, you say it in Dutch, you know, honestly, just you, well, how um, you say it in Dutch? I mean, like, oh, just a nose and lip, my but I'm trying to think of how you say it because you kind of say it when you're caught off guard because it'd be kind of it will be like this, like you know, like we see each other, whatever mm-hmm. you we know each other more on a daily basis, and you would go, like, Norma, how are you? and I'm like, oh. I'm, I'm okay. I went to the store because I needed a pregnancy test. I'm pregnant, but I'm gonna and but I'm I got some more gross knees and then you will be like, wait Don't say that between <laughs> nose and lips. That's a big announcement. Uh, Don't okay. say yeah, like, yeah, in passing, you, yeah. yeah, in passing. Oh, I'm pregnant and blah blah and then go mm-hmm. about your business. So um, Yeah, so people will be like or I would tell you like, you know what Norma told me between nose and lips that she's pregnant uh. <laughs> So just a nose and lip. Um, Between you and I. Yeah, like from my mouth to God's ears, kind of thing. No, not no. More like, don't tell me this big fact without acknowledging that it's a big oh, fact. Like, okay. Yeah, don't say it. Don't gloss over it. Yeah, don't gloss over it. That's ah, the one that things. It just stays here. Yeah. It's, okay. It's supposed to, yeah. You yeah. said it quick so that yeah. it would. Between your nose and yeah. lips, it needs to be forecast. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, let's talk about that. And so, um, whenever I ask questions or whenever, you know how they, you will ask questions, you won't necessarily get an answer, but then in a conversation, so 
or things that you notice. So it started, this is, this is where it started. My aunt, my youngest aunt and I are about 13 days apart, either 11 or 13 days apart. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, cause I'm like, wait, like, you know, my dad also, yeah. I know that I do know that my grandmother had kids while her older kids, like there's, you know, mm-hmm. the people are close, people are close in age. But um, Uncle Roy is her last one, and I think by the time I'm born, he's 16 or 17 years old. And so then I was like, wait, my other aunt um, is my age. Like, right. you know, like... How? Right, was I she was still like, having babies Yeah, was she 50? still having babies? Yeah. And, and the reason why it stood out to me is because I'm born, and then my mom always... They always tell the story about how my mom nursed us both. My mm-hmm. mom nursed me and my aunt. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, for like a couple of days until everything mm-hmm. gets on their feet. But that's as the story goes. Mm-hmm. I get little parts here and there. And so my, I asked my mom, I was like, you know, was grandma not able to nurse? Is that why you had Aunt Charita? And she was like, well, you know, that's, you know, Grandpa Max's child. And I was like, wait, what? Because mm. in my head, she was always both yeah. their kids. Yeah. So then I get a snippet of that story mm-hmm. about how, and then finally, I swear, this is a solid maybe 13 years later, mm-hmm. I finally get like a grip of my, on my own mom, on her to like tell a little bit more <clears throat> about how come my aunt was where my mom was. And my mom was like, well, I was living with your grandma and grandpa at the time because I had, she had me and my brother. She had us young, but mm-hmm. she had me, my older brother and I are a year and a half apart. And she was like, I had, I had just had you, your dad was in the Netherlands. I was living with his parents Mm. and your aunts, I have two aunts that are maybe two years apart from my dad. Um, my grandmother got a call and it was to let her know that my grandfather had yet another kid outside of her home. She's Mm -hmm. not, she does not the first one. And, um, that the kid was left at the hospital. Because, like um, as a newborn baby, as a newborn baby, because um, the mother, the mother was Indian descent, and that's frowned upon because oh. we are considered Negro, which is Creole yeah. in Suriname, yeah. and Negro and Creole don't Negro, a Creole and Indian are not supposed to have kids together. Like oh. it's a big. Um, if people ever want to look into it, there's a great movie about it called One People. It's like one of the best Suriname movies we have. Oh, One People. Okay, yeah, it's we spelled need to W A N. Oh, yeah, you would love it. One People. Yeah, okay. and so and yeah, and so the mom was basically terrified of her own community, left Chirita behind, and decided to send somebody to tell or to call, let somebody call my grandmother and let her know. So my grandmother sends her daughters to go pick up. This is the 70s, you know, like, like, I don't know what the rules were, but my aunts went to pick up their baby sister from the hospital and brought her back. And that's why my mom had two kids, like, oh, you know, like wow. <laughs> two babies yeah. and was nursing us. And so I'm like, and then she grows up in my grandma's house for a while. But then, then the moves to the Netherlands happened. So Sirita didn't have like a ton of ton of time. And she moves to level with who? My like everybody starts going because my my dad's already there. His sisters go. And then my mom goes with me and and um, 
Carlos, my older brother, and then uh, my grandma comes too. It's surprising that your dad went. Because yeah, he right? seemed like he'd have so been rebellious. the last person to go. Yeah, me too. I'm still, until this day, I'm surprised because he also says he doesn't want to live in Suriname anymore. I thought he was going to go. We tried to go back. Remember, we went mm -hmm. back in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And then there was a military coup. And that was a whole disaster of a year. Uh, my mom had to go back to the Netherlands, um, leave us behind. My dad got arrested. Um, yeah, it was a lot. And so we were in Suriname in, from 1982 to 1983 uh, without both our parents. We were with my aunt, who I was so dear to me. Because your, 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 your parents were in exile. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> It was like it was like all very wild. <laughs> so I finally get that story out of her years and years later and I was really sitting there like, what kind of strength? Um mm. some of this I'll be really vulnerable. Some of this really ties in with my own story, uh with my first child. Um while I was pregnant I found out that somebody else was pregnant. Like I was like her kid is born to to the dot three months after my kid was born and I at first I was like okay this is my culture right like it happens men have mm -hmm. kids outside the home and I'm supposed to just like accept it and go yeah, out with the that. Mm -hmm. yes yeah and then my family was also like you know you have mm -hmm. a family now you yeah, stay we'll together yeah. <laughs> and then it went um and I was like I can't do it I can't do it like I just like I had nothing against the kid we used to the kid, have the kid over all the time. But I was just like, this can absolutely not be my life. And I also, honestly, I can tie it in. Because if I think about that feeling, that was one of the feelings that I felt that I saw on my grandma's face when I would play and I would look at her. That, that heaviness of like so much burden. And I felt that way about mm. it being so such a burden to be in pain and still operate gracefully yeah and 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 being expected to mm -hmm. operate so gracefully and i was like mm -hmm. i can't i can't do it and then the the lady ended up being pregnant like eight months later again with a second child and i was like i'm not doing this i'm not taking care of all these kids <laughs> and i was like how did she do that how did she not you know get angry or like or like I have to say for myself too, I've never had anything against the kids themselves. I never felt hate or wanting to hurt them or like, I love them very much. Like till this day, honestly, like, um, I'm very excited when I see them, but I, yeah, that was really it for me. I was like, how did she do that? Like she really had them in their home and I thought they were hers. Like I didn't see a Wait, difference. So she had two children. From the same lady? The lady that um, left the child at the hospital? No, that one is one. So, but <laughs> this story is so wild. But so in the same period of time, there's another aunt. Eight who, months later, another no, child? No, in, no, within maybe the next two weeks or so. So what? everybody's born. Yes. Wait. Everybody's born wait, in 1974. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Okay, now. Now. Okay. I can get, I can even see the whole movie play out. Yeah. They get the phone call. She's 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 the high moral, you know. She, the, yeah. the gates it's of heaven are open for her. She didn't ask for this. She already has fifteen of her own. Mm -hmm. All right, what's one more? The girls go. I can see the wind howling, and 
<laughs> they get there and the baby's wrapped up and they look into its eyes and they see its Douglas hair and yes. all of that. All right. And then two weeks later, what? In reality, yes. Two weeks later, there's another one. There's another girl. I've never met that aunt and I didn't know about her until I was an adult. But guess what? I have her middle name. Her name is Diana. <laughs> what? So another yeah. one comes along. Another one comes and along. And your grandpa. I, I, I don't know what happened there because she, she is not the one that ended up at my grandmother's. But there's... Oh, there's other outside children. In addition to those two? In addition oh, okay. to those two. Those two are just the last ones that I know because they're from the same year as me. There's plenty of other people. And so I just never realized that they weren't. Cause I, so the ones that I'm talking about are already adults in my eyes, although they're in their younger mm. years, of course. Like they're probably mid-20s, early 30s mm-hmm. when, I'm, when I'm looking at them as a child. But what stood out to me is that I never noticed that from my grandmother that they weren't hers. Yeah, she and didn't that's treat what them I differently. Thought, that's what I thought was important. Okay. That's right. yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. So she's going to heaven. Well, she went to heaven. Yeah, we know to, she went. Sure she went. went. <laughs> she has a she had a high place next. And to I've her. never heard anybody say anything else about her when she's mentioned. That's what people say. They're like. You so, or if they say that I remind them of her, or they will say you're so kind, or or if I say my grandma's name, they're like she was so, that was such a good person, that was such a good woman. So her reputation yeah. is one of love and yes, respect. Yes, very and, much so. Yeah, and I think that was important to her. You see it in all the yeah, different ways. Yeah. It would have to be. Yeah. So okay, so let's land the plane. Yeah. So <laughs> you decide to embark on the story. Yeah. This journey, I hate that, but yeah. you decide to take up this project. And as you said, it's personal to you, right? Yeah. Because you want to be delicate. You want to yeah. honor her. You want to be respectful. Yeah. You're mindful that your aunts and uncles will yep. see this, right? Yes. And yeah. you want to do it justice. So what's that process been like for you? It's been hard. I even... Um... I love my creative director, um, Robert McFarlane is his name, and he does really get the best out of me. And we'll get off a call, and I'll be like, ah. And one thing that I really think happens often, honestly, when I create characters or like when I come up with stuff, but this time in particular, because it's tied to a person that I love so much and was a real person in my life. I'm protective of her, mm. but it's a film, <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. so there needs to be, she needs to be as well-rounded as a character that she, that as any of the other characters, but I, she's almost, she's the same to mm-hmm. me. So she, he's, he does point out to me at times, like she can come off too perfect. Then in my head, yeah. I'm like, that's what, but that's because she was, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like she's perfect. Um, so, um, bringing that, bringing her, from being a saint in my eyes to a human being is mm-hmm. been a pretty hard process for doing yeah writing this film yeah yeah, like, yeah I don't want to share like any type of bad lighting I'm like right right yeah. right yeah. well we cannot wait to see <laughs> this project when when it's yeah. finished and I think um a lot of people will relate to many of the things that you've said about your yes. grandmother as being this strong woman 
who's in the background yeah. holding it all together. Um, there are so many wonderful things to highlight about her, not just not just her resilience and the way that she loved her family so deeply that she did whatever she could to keep it together, but also her love for her own nation and yeah. the pride that she carried yeah. and that making that, that coconut oil yeah. a product of Suriname, yes, all under mm-hmm. crown and country, yeah. I get it, but, you know, it was her hands. Yeah. And, you know, it's, have you ever tried to look at the archive to see if there's any record, anything with her name? I anything? am, because we really do think that is, there's a, 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 there's a point where um, our Queen Juliana visits and she ended up visiting our, the, the small town my grandmother was in, Coroni, and they, she was part of like the welcoming committee. So I do think that if I go through the archive, I should be able to find at least a picture of her with the queen. That would be wonderful. So, yeah, and only, not unfortunately, I'm looking forward to it. I have to be in Suriname in person. To, to get to, to do that, but yeah. which you'll, you will be doing Yes, soon. I will be doing that. Yes. The world is back. Well, yeah. Com- yeah. Well, Some what reason. can we say when the world is back? <laughs> Well, in the world, I don't know. We're functioning, I guess. So yeah. we're going to find a way to get over there. But to to close out with you, and that that is what I want to bring forward, not only in honoring her, but also honoring any Surinamese woman anywhere in the world, including myself, that there is a part that I feel in our culture that seems like the women are kind of like, you know, exhausted down and out or like you know let's tell all these horrible things that happen about us but with this film i really want to make them i want to enlighten them i want to show that we are strong i want to show that it's not a weakness it's, there's actually like the perseverance is what makes us Surinamese women and that we should be extremely proud of how we are able to operate especially in the home especially as entrepreneurs yeah so that's when it all all said and done that is what i hope is my gift with this film to Surinamese women and it's and it's and it's one that we will look forward to and we will learn a lot from because we don't we many of us don't know a lot about Suriname yeah and so this is important and to tell that story from a woman's point of view i think yes even more magical yes thank you norma for sharing thank you audience for listening norma where can they listen to us they can listen to us on any platform podcast streaming platform you can find us on instagram black girls with accents come and leave your comments come and interact with us always a pleasure thank you guys bye-bye thank you bye-bye